Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, it is 2015. If you are like me, then at some point in the last seven to ten days, you have had to erase one of the numbers and a date that you wrote, whether it was in a notebook or whether it was on a check. I actually got to sign a marriage license last night, and that was one of the scariest things I've done in ten days, just fearful that I was going to put the wrong number at the end of that string. Thankfully, I got 15 because nobody wants white out on their marriage license. Um, but it is 2015, and it's that time of beginnings, right? This is that time of year where people are beginning things, and no doubt you're beginning things as well. You've come into this new year, and you've got some ideas of some things that you want to see happen in your life, some things you want to start, some things you want to change, some things that you want to do differently, some things you want to stop. You've probably got a list like that. I have a list like that as I enter uh, 2015. Um, And so as we are in this season of the year where we're thinking about what we're going to start and what we're going to stop and what we're going to change, I think it's helpful for us to begin this time of year by getting uh, our, really our direction calibrated. Because there's nothing worse than thinking you're going to go in one direction when in fact you're headed in the other. If we wanted to go to Dallas, yet we left here and drove north, we would be sorely disappointed that we never arrived at our destination. In the same way, you've got some goals that you have set, some resolutions that you've made for 2015. And as a group of people who are gathered here at a church today, no doubt at least part of your goals for 2015 include growing spiritually, something about growing in your relationship with God. That's probably a part of uh, what you hope to see happen in 2015. But it's important as you begin 2015 that you calibrate to move in the direction where God is that you move in the the ways in which he desires for you to move if you're actually to reach the destination that you hope to arrive at by year's end. And so what we're doing over the next three weeks is we're going to be in a little series that we're calling In the Beginning, where we're going to look at the book of beginnings. We're going to look at the book of Genesis. And as we look at the book of Genesis, my hope and prayer is that we kind of calibrate our bearings for 2015 so that we're focused on the right direction, the right purposes with our life this year. And so we're going to be doing that uh, today. Now, as we begin, we're, we're going to begin at the very beginning. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And, and today in part 1, we're really going to look at the first half of the book of Genesis. And in case you're thinking, oh no, um, I've got lunch plans, I don't plan on reading all of the first 25 chapters of Genesis. Uh, but we are going to hit the high points and the high themes. And as we begin Genesis, we're going to begin in Genesis 1-1, that time that is known as the beginning, the time when, when nothing that we know of existed except God himself. And God began to speak into existence all that we know. That's where the Bible begins. The story of Scripture begins in Genesis 1-1 with the creation of all things. Now, as, as God begins this creation... It's fascinating what he does, because the first things that God does in the beginnings is he makes a special place for a special people to enjoy a special privilege. And really, what we see is 
that God made a very special place. What was that place that God made in the very beginning? Even more specific than the earth, it was a garden known as the Garden of Eden. God made a very special place very early on in the Scriptures. And and when He made that place, He also placed a very special people in that place, and it was humanity, but specifically, humanity had names which were Adam and Eve, which He placed in that garden, a very special people. But as God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He gave them a very special privilege of having their needs met and provided for. And really, this is the story of Genesis chapter 1. Now, we see this unfold as God created this special place. Genesis 1 is a a fascinating chapter because it, it follows this pattern of it says, and God said, and there was, and it was good. So, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be the sun, the moon, and the stars, and there were the sun, the moon, and the stars. And God said, let there be land, and there was land. And God said, let there be animals, and there were animals. And God said, let there be plants, and there were plants. And God said, let there be fish, and there were fish. And what God did as he spoke into existence all these things is he made a world that was good. Not just good, it was very good. Now, In what respect was the place that God created good? My friend Mike Strauss has has helped me see this, and this is a beautiful thing to see, that the reason why this place was good and this place was very good was because it was very good for human life. This place that God created was designed for us. It had us in mind. It was just the right distance from the sun, and it has just the right mixture of elements in the atmosphere, and it has just the right amount of water on the earth, and all of these things that we need for life. God made this place good. He made this place very good. He made this a special place for humanity. I don't know about you, but that's that's an encouraging thing to think that God made a special place for us. You might have some special places in your life. Uh, when I was thinking about this, I thought about uh, my parents' house. My parents' house is a special place to go. I have all these memories there, but, but also there's all these things at my parents' house that remind me that my parents want me there and that they planned on me to be there. A uh, very simple uh, illustration of this, but my, my parents, before I'm coming home, they know, if I'm no, they know I'm coming, they put some Coke Zero in the refrigerator. Now, my parents don't drink Coke Zero, but I drink it in copious amounts, and they, they put it there for me so that when I come, I know that they have made a special place for me. The God of the universe made a special place, and he made it just for us to be. God made a, a special place. Now, inside of this special place, God placed a special people. He created a special people. We see this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made a very special creation. God had already made some beautiful creations. He'd already made mountains and trees and and giraffes and platypus and all these things. God had already made all of those, but in humanity, he made something special. And what made humanity special was not our prodigious abilities or our charming good looks. What made humanity special, according to Genesis chapter 1, was that we were created in whose image? 
were created in God's image. We became a special people living in the special place of the Garden of Eden because God created us in his image. Every human that you meet is inherently valuable because we're created in the image of God. Special people in a special place. And as humanity began to live out their life in this special place, they experienced a special privilege. Chapter 1, verse 28 of Genesis says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What God did was he gave us a special privilege. He provided for all of their physical needs in this special place with food and water and all of those things. But he also provided for their spiritual needs. As we see in chapter 3, God walked with them in the cool of the day. He was living in relationship with them. So what we have in the book of Genesis, in the very first chapters, we have a reminder that it's God's heart, it's his desire, it's his intention to live with a special people in a special place, giving them a special privilege. And today we ought to be encouraged by the fact that that God desires that kind of intimacy and relationship with you as well. That's how the story begins. But if you've read your Bible or you've experienced some life, you know that, that we're not still in the Garden of Eden. I like Norman a lot, but it's not quite that special. And the reason why we're not there is because something dramatic happened. There was a very emphatic set of events that led to a change in the special people in the special place experiencing the special privilege. Those events are described for us in Genesis chapter 3. And what we see in, in Genesis chapter 3 is we see that sin closes this place. Adam and Eve sin. They eat from the tree of the, the, the fruit of the tree that they were not supposed to eat from. And as they do that, they are kicked out of the garden. They're, they're, the space closes to them. And, and we see that as they do that, that these people who are a special people created in the image of God, suddenly there is a wounding that happens to them. And they're not quite the same. And their relationship with God is disrupted. And not only that, but we see that the special privilege that they experienced, that somehow it begins to to get obscured. Now, we see this unfold in the Scriptures in Genesis chapter 3. We see that the place was closed off and that after Adam and Eve's sin, they are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. It says, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way back to the tree of life. Um, how, how much of an impact did sin have on this place? So much so that not only was Adam kicked out, but there was an angelic guard that was placed to keep him from returning. That was pretty intense, the impact of sin on the special place that God had created. Not only that, but the special people become wounded. People who were created in the image of God suddenly began hiding from God. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 says, And they, being Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. 
God among the trees of the garden. They, they hid themselves from him. They were wounded. They, they once lived freely in relationship with him. Sin comes, and now they're hiding in the garden. The special people have been wounded. The special place has been closed off. And not only that, but the special privilege has been obscured. We see that in the, the curse that God pronounces upon them. Look what it says, verse 16 and following in chapter 3. It says, to the woman, God says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Yes, Eve is to blame. In, in pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to control your husband, and he shall dominate you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all of the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. The privilege they had, the blessing that they had, is obscured. They still are able to talk to God. He still is interested in them, but yet now they're, they're having to deal with thorns and thistles and the, the difficulties and the hard parts of life. What sin did was sin closed the place, it wounded the people, and it obscured the privilege. But here's what's so wonderful, folks. The God of the universe who created us still had a desire to have a special people in a special place experiencing his special privilege. And the God of the universe set a plan in motion to bring those things back. And that story is really the story of the rest of the Bible, but it had a beginning point. It began in the life of Abraham. And what happens in Abraham's life is that, that God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and he gives him a promise to, to make of him, uh, to give him a new place, to give him a new people, and to experience an awesome privilege in relationship with him. It's a, it's a call to give back what was lost in the fall, what was lost with the sin of Adam and Eve. God promises to bring it back, and he promises this to Abraham. This is what he says to Abraham. He says to Abraham in, in, in Genesis 12, verse 1, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. What's it sound like God's getting ready to do? He's going to give him a special place. He says, hey, Abram, you're living in this area. That's all good, but I've got a better place for you, a place where we can live in a special relationship together. I've got a new land to give you. That's what God said to Abram. But then he, he continued on, and he says, and I will make of you a great nation. What does that sound like? God says, I'm going to give you a people. Give me a new people that are going to, 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 to come from you, Abraham, that are going to be my special people living in my special place so that we could have a relationship with one another. That's what God said. And then he goes further, and not, not just uh, does he say that he's going to make of them a nation. 
He's going to give him some land, but he goes further and he talks about this awesome privilege that he's going to give. As he continues this statement, he says, I'll make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's an awesome privilege, an awesome blessing that God promised to Abraham. It was just bringing back what had been lost in the fall. Now, when Abraham received this call from God, he was living in a, in a distant place. He was living without children. And he was living a life that, you know, he was getting by, but it certainly wasn't this life of, of awesome privilege and blessing. And yet Abraham, when God came to him and he told him these things, he believed it. Even though he didn't see it, he believed that God would make good on those promises. It says in Genesis chapter 15 that it was reckoned to him as righteousness because Abraham believed that God would make good on his promises. And because of that, the New Testament is infatuated with Abraham. Over and over and over again throughout our New Testament, Abraham is referenced and he's held up as this example. A great location to turn is to Romans chapter 4, as Abraham is this example, or Hebrews chapter 11. He's an example of someone who trusted God. He trusted God, even though what he saw was different than what God had promised, he believed that God would deliver on what he had promised. You know what, this is an important thing for us to remember as well, because we're all living our lives where what we see and what we're experiencing is something less than what we hope for, is something less than what we see God promise in Scripture. There is a gap between our experience and our reality. The same was true for Abraham, and yet when God made the promise, Abraham believed, and God said, Abraham, that is exactly what I want you to do. And the example is shared with us today because what God wants us to do today as we begin 2015 God wants us to believe him based on what he has promised, not just what we see. Now, here's the interesting thing about Abraham's life. When you hear about Abraham's life, you, you really are, are, are tempted to think that everything for Abraham got a whole lot better, a whole lot faster, right after God made these promises. That God said, hey, I'm going to give you a, a, a place, I'm going to give you a people, I'm going to give you privilege, and immediately all of those things happen. But, but the interesting thing about Abraham's life is that Abraham lived a life, and he lived a long life, longer than you and I will live. And yet in all of Abraham's long life, he saw only hints of these things actually happen, happening. He only, he only saw hints of inhabiting this special place, only a hint of it. He saw only a hint at, at fathering a, a, a new people. I mean, he, he had one son of promise. That was it. He saw only a hint of it. He saw only a hint of the promise that God had given that he would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth, only, only a small hint of it. Abraham never saw all of those things fully realized in his life. He never, never saw it. Again, we, we see this in the place. Abraham left the land that God called him from, and he went to the land that God promised. He said, I'll take you to the land that I will show you. It was the land of Canaan the land that we know of as, as Israel today and Palestine, those, those places. God had said, I'm going to give you this land. And so he, he came to 
that area. But here's the interesting thing. In all of Abraham's life, in all of his days, how much of the land of Canaan did Abraham ever own? A little trivia question. How much did he ever own? Did he ever really take possession of? The answer is what he owned is one small parcel of land at his death. And you know what it was? It was a burial plot for his wife, Sarah. Genesis chapter 23 tells us about that piece of land. One of these little verses that you'd skim right past, most likely, uh, without if you didn't see the, the bigger picture here. It says in, in chapter 23, verse 19, it says, After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. It's the only land that Abraham ever owned in there. He saw only a hint of the realization of the promise of the place. Abraham was promised a people. He was promised to have a nation that would, that would go forth from him. And yet, uh, famously, Abraham and Sarah were barren. They couldn't have children. They took matters into their own hands, and they thought, well, if, if God's promised us kids, maybe we can find a way to make that happen. And so they bring Hagar, uh, a maidservant, to Sarah in, and, and she sleeps with Abraham, and they have a child named Ishmael. But God says, no, 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 that's not the kind of nation I'm going to build. I'm going to build it differently. I'm going to build it not through Hagar, but I'm going to build it through Sarah. And this is what we see in chapter 17 of Genesis, verses 15 and 16. God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you will not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, a son, singular, by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now, God's promise was to, to make of him a great nation, and yet in Abraham's life, he saw only a hint of that. He saw one son, Isaac, that was born, was not fully realized in his days. And as far as privilege, one of the things we see in Abraham's life is that he got very wealthy. He got animals, and he got uh, you know, all kinds of servants, and he got gold and silver and, and all these gifts and tributes from different places. And so in one sense, Abraham received some blessing. He received some privilege from God as he lived this out. But you know, the passage says, the promise said that it would be this awesome privilege and that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through him. And the question is, in Abraham's life, were all the peoples of the earth blessed through him? I mean, I think the argument could be made that the peoples around Abraham were not happy to see him coming in his day. Because when he would come, I mean, this is, we're not going to get into this, but you could read in the latter parts of uh, between chapter 12 and chapter 24 of Genesis scan those passages, what you'll see is that Abraham lied all the time about who Sarah was. He kept calling her his sister that brought reproach as other people would see her, think that it was his sister, want to marry her, and then God would punish them because of Abraham's lie. That was hardly what I would call being a blessing to the nations, right? God promised that, that he would be this blessing, and yet in his lifetime, he saw only a hint of it. He saw some, some physical gain, but certainly not the nations of the earth being blessed through him. So Abraham never saw anything more than a hint of these promises realized. Now, now here's the thing, folks. 
I think this is really important for us. It's important for us to see and remember and understand because if Abraham, who saw only a hint of these things, realized, how did he respond? Because you and I live our lives with this gap between what God promises and what we see and experience. How did Abraham respond when not everything that God promised happened to him or came to him immediately? How did he respond? Well, he responded by worshiping God. He responded by worshiping God. And really, this is the the big lesson that I have for us today. We are to follow Abraham's example and worship now while we wait for the not yet. We're to follow Abraham's example and we're, we're to worship God now while we wait for the not yet. God had promised Abraham things that were not yet within his life. And yet, Abraham worshiped God then. The book of Genesis in those same chapters, chapter 12 through 24, records three different times where Abraham stopped and worshiped God by building him an altar, where he, he, had, he created a place and he, he dropped to his knees and he praised God. Two of those are in chapter 12 and one is in chapter 13 where, where Abraham just praised God for who he was in light of what he had promised, not just what Abraham saw immediately. As a matter of fact, you know what Abraham did with most of his days while he was living out the rest of his life? He spent his time walking around Canaan looking at the land that God had promised him but that he hadn't possessed. All of these little altars that he made to worship God, they were in all different parts of the country. His geography kept moving, and it kept moving because God said, hey, Abraham, look around. This is the land I'm giving you. I want you just to to go check it out. Go experience it a little bit because one day this will be the land, this will be the special place where the special people will experience my special privilege. I just want you to look at it. We see this in Genesis chapter 13. Really, 17 and 18, I'm going to begin back in verse 14. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Abraham spent his days. Now, think about this. God says, hey, as many as the dust is on this earth, I mean, it's a dusty place, right? I've never been to Israel. You probably haven't either, but how do you imagine the ground being there? Kind of dusty, right? As he's walking around, God's saying, you know what? All that dust is symbolizing all of the descendants that will come from it. And as you're walking around and as you're touring this land and as you're drawing a map of this land, I want you to realize and know that it's a special place that I will give to your people eventually. And Abraham did that faithfully and he worshiped God as a result. I don't think there's any way that Abraham on that in that era of his life could have possibly understood what God was going to fully do through him. 
that right now with our perspective that we have, we can see that God did create a place for the nation of Israel. They would occupy it during the time of Joshua. David would establish and expand its borders through the time of Solomon. There was a place that was created. And even though that place has experienced lots of bumps in the road along the way, God has a future for it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there was a place that that God created. Abraham couldn't have fully grasped it. But God said, there I'm going to make good on my promise to you, just not necessarily in the time frame that you're used to. I don't know that it's possible that Abraham would have fully understood as he looked at his one son, Isaac, that eventually from his descendants would come the 12 tribes of Israel that would be the special people of God that would receive the covenant of God and the Ten Commandments and would live out their lives as an example that you and I would be talking about them today thousands of miles away. God made of Abraham, a a mighty people, a people that has a future. As we look all the way into the book of Revelation, God has a a future and a plan to make good on his promises of land and people for the nation of Israel at the end times. God has a a plan that he's working out. Even though he couldn't see it in that day, Abraham believed that God was going to make good somehow. I don't think it's possible for Abraham to to fully realize that that one day God would send through the people a redeemer, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who would die on the cross to offer a payment for the forgiveness of sins, that all the people who would believe in that might be blessed as a result. I don't think it's possible that Abraham would have understood all of that, but Abraham just knew, God, I'm just going to take you at your word that your promise for a place and a people and a privilege that, that it will come true, and I'm going to follow you and worship you as a result. Even though he didn't see it, even though he couldn't see it, he worshiped God in the now in light of the not yet. Now, this is really important for us, right? This is important for us because we, as we enter 2015, we have this gap between what we see God describe in his word and what we experience in our lives. The, the promises of God for forgiveness, are, are what we see in our lives is we feel guilt. And there, there's, there's a gap there, right? What we, we see in God's word is a promise for his presence, and yet we feel like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling at times, right? There's a gap between what we see and what we experience. What we see in God's word is that he's got a place for us and that he has equipped us to serve him and live a life of purpose, and yet at times it's hard for us to find that purpose sometimes. We, we kind of wander around. We feel like we, we muddy up the waters of our lives and, and all of these things. And there's a gap between the promises of God and our, our experience and what we see in our lives. And yet, as we enter 2015... God is asking us to trust his promises for what's not yet, and as we do that, to worship him in the now. With Abraham as our example, that we would worship God now, even if things aren't exactly like we want. If if you are waiting to worship God till everything works out, you're going to be waiting a long time. And yet we have the opportunity to worship him. Now, now here's the thing. As believers in Christ, we have this incredible hope. We have an incredible hope. Because what we have as believers in Christ is a promise for a not yet 
that is worth waiting for. And that promise comes to us in the book of Revelation, chapters 20 through 22. We don't have time to get into that. I, I, I think it would have been overwhelming if I said, we're going to cover all of Genesis and Revelation today. Be a little much. But just trust me. You have some time this week? Go read Revelation 20 through 22. What you see in Revelation 20 through 22 is God making good on his promises. What you see in Revelation 20 through 22 is that Jesus comes and makes a special place on the earth in Revelation chapter 20, where he rules from the earth over the people of God and gives blessing in this millennial kingdom reign of Christ. It's God making good on the promise that he made to Abraham thousands of years ago. He makes good on it. And then here's the wonderful thing for believers in Christ. Not only if we know Christ do we get to experience that era, but God had a bigger plan even than that. God's plan was not just to have us hang out in Canaan, but God's plan was to create a whole new place, a new heaven, and a new earth for you and I to enjoy relationship with God forever. That's Revelation chapter 21 and 22, that we will be a special people experiencing the special privilege of living in the relationship with God with the tree of life right there and all of the blessing that comes from that in the special place that God has created. We have the promise of a great not yet. So we can worship God today even when we are dealing with disappointment and divorce and death and disease. We can worship God today because of what he offers us tomorrow. Abraham gave us that example, and we have the privilege of experiencing it and living with him today. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would trust you. I pray that like Abraham, we would be people of faith, that we would believe that you do desire to relate with us, that you do desire to create a place for us where we might be your special people relating to you inside this special privilege. And we have hints of that now, Father. You've given us your spirit. You've placed us within a context of believers. We already have been granted forgiveness, all of those things, Father. But so many other things in our lives today are, are broken, and the thistles and the thorns that came up in the garden want to choke out our hope. But, Father, I pray that we would be a people who would worship you now, in light of what has not yet come to pass. Father, you are worthy to be trusted. Just as you unfolded over time your promises to Abraham, you will unfold over time your promises to us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to worship you today in light of tomorrow. I pray these things in Jesus' name.